Today on Abounding Grace from Ed Taylor. You need to know, and so do I need to be reminded, that right after a great victory will often come deep discouragement. Generally, pastors are very, very excited about Sunday and very, very discouraged on Monday. It's just a natural thing. Uh, It doesn't even have to have anything to do with all the things that can discourage a pastor. There's just that sense where God had used them in a great way, and as they're resting on Monday, the enemy likes to attack them. This is amazing grace. along as we present Abounding Grace, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Aurora. Pastor Ed Taylor is in the middle of a study in 1 Samuel and we'll join him in chapter 5 in a second. At the end of 1 John, we read, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That may seem like an odd way to end a letter, but no doubt the Lord wanted to emphasize the importance of steering clear of this sort of thing. Idolatry has been an issue through the ages and certainly not just a thing of the past. And we'll be reminded today of the importance of God above all of the fake gods. The Philistines needed to understand this, and we do too. Here's Ed. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. With the time that we have together, I believe the Lord would have us to learn the importance of God, capital G, above all fake gods, little g. And in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, the things of God can never replace God himself. The children of Israel are learning this vital lesson. That the things of God can never replace God himself. After years of poor, dismal spiritual leadership, Israel had fallen into a state of terrible decay. Terrible social, spiritual, and moral decay. We know from the time of Judges, because of poor spiritual leadership, basically the nation was run this way. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. And chaos ensued. First Samuel, we're introduced with, to Eli the priest and his two corrupt sons, Hophni and Phinehas, continuing this sinful leadership pattern. They stole from the people. They embezzled. They seduced women sexually at the doors of the temple. And yet God broke in and he provided a leader, a miracle baby, Samuel, to give to this desperate mom, Hannah. Good news arrived. Great news followed by warfare. It didn't take long after good news from God to bring on an onslaught in chapter 4 of literally, literal physical warfare. Not the spiritual kind that we often talk about, but literal warfare where the Philistines attacked And thousands of Israelites died. Now they died because they trusted in the things of God and not God himself. Their attention was on the Ark of the Covenant. This box representing the presence and power of God became a token of good luck. They used it as a good luck charm. Thinking that the power that they had for victory was in this box and not in God himself. And when attacked, we learned... Rather than getting on their faces and seeking God and repenting of their sin, 
They took the easy way out and blamed him. And we saw how often and how, often and how easy it is when times get tough to blame God and to point the finger. They call for the Ark of the Covenant, this religious artifact, and it's taken, verse 1 of chapter 5. It's taken away from them. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only the torso of Dagon was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who came who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So the Philistines have stolen the box. When the news of the Ark of the Covenant being stolen came to Eli, he wasn't so much concerned about his own sons dying in battle, but when he found out that the Ark of the Covenant was taken, that's when he collapsed. It seems as if he was more interested in the religion that he was a part of rather than the reality of even losing his own two sons. That's how far he really was. Now they have the Ark of the Covenant... And they place it in their temple, the Philistines do, next to their primary god above gods in their life. Their primary false god was this god, Dagon. They're excited, of course. They're amped up. They just won a victory. They're, they're very excited. Look, we are greater than them, even though we've heard about God, we've heard about his victory, we've learned how strong he is now through the battle and through the misrepresentation of God through the people, and the victory of war, they're excited. They take this box, they bring it into the temple of Dagon, and let them, let in their minds, they're saying, look, they, they set the box down. Dagon is, is, a, is a higher, it's a larger statue. They've got, the, they've got Dagon, they've got the box right next to him. And this false Philistine god ends up, well, not falling down once, but twice. And the second time, you've got his head cut off, and the palms of his hands were broken off. Here in these first few verses, you know, you see that God has a sense of humor. He'll have none of this stuff. Philistines, you guys think you're victorious and you've got your old Dagon, your big... Well, there's a couple of different uh, theories of who Dagon was. One theory is that he was a fish god, so he had the torso of a man and a fish head and it's just really weird looking. And another view of Dagon was that he was the corn god or the god of the crops, Either way, he was a very important God, the supreme deity of the Philistines, their principal deity. And God sends a message to them by messing with their gods. And we find the, the you, know, you know, how funny it is where they come in and go, oh no, what happened to our God? And they put the stat, the, you know, their God is so powerful it can't get up on its own, needs a little bit of help, you know. So big it up and then they come back and oh, their head's cut off and they're all freaked out now. Like, what's happening here? This is what's happening. God is very interested in your supreme worship of him. And like the children of Israel, he will get your attention often by messing with your gods, little g as well. So, Ed, we don't have any gods. You could search my house. I don't have any little idols. I definitely don't have some weird-looking fish-headed thing in my backyard. I don't have any gods. Here's what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me, God says. 
Or in Isaiah 44, verse 12, the blacksmith with the tongs works one, speaking of a God, in the coals, fashions it with hammers, works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. Basically describing the uselessness of false gods and idols. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John will tell uh, the, the congregation and us today, the Holy Spirit saying, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's said to us. That's the word of God to you and me. Keep yourself from idols. Yet when we give our time and attention, our devotion, our desires to someone or something over and above God, we are idolatrous. It's a trap that all of us can fall into. Sure, we're not going to create and fashion a, an idol with our own hands. But see, idolatry is much more than a statue, much more than a picture on the wall, much more than some kind of icon. Idolatry is a matter of the heart. And whether it's this stone Dagon that's up in its own temple or a picture, God will have none of it among his people. And here we have an example of that God will deal with people through their gods, unbelievers. He'll mess with their gods and remind them of his supremacy. We see that Dagon fell on his face. At the end of chapter 4, you have the, if you, you turn back with me in verse 19 uh, in chapter 4, as we ended the chapter last time, Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child. She was due to be delivered. It's, it says, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She bowed herself and gave birth, and her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Now, she said the glory departed from Israel, but the glory had not departed as they thought. He, God, was more than able and ready to reveal himself even to pagan idol worshipers. The glory of God had not departed. The people of God had abandoned him and exchanged him for a token. The glory of God had not departed. He's more than ready to reveal himself to you, to me. He's more than ready to take our false idols and show his supremacy. You know, sometimes you'll feel as if the circumstances of life will cause you to cry out, where are you, Lord, like he's hiding from you? Or where are you? You might even come to that conclusion that circumstances are so difficult and so hard that, that you may not use this word, but maybe from now on you might. Ichabod. You know, Ichabod. This is just Ichabod. Where's the glory of God? Where's the goodness of God? Where's the presence of God? Where's the faithfulness of God? Where's the promises of God? Listen, he hasn't left. He's not hiding himself from you. You know, Job even cried that out. In Job chapter 13, verse 24, he said, why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? God hadn't done that to Job. He was just expressing his feelings. God hadn't hidden himself. He's not Job's enemy. In Psalm 10, verse 1, it says, the psalmist would say, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Listen, as we come humbly to him, he will be found. He is not hiding. Jot this one down. Jeremiah chapter 29 Verse 14, it says, God is speaking, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, there's Dagon on his face, a failure. 
his head and his hands broken off. You know, God was sending a very specific message, one that was very well understood by the Philistines. The Philistine false priest knew exactly what was happening and what that meant. The head represented the place of wisdom, and the hands represented the place of power. And what God was telling the Philistines, that his people were, his followers were unable to accomplish, is that worshiping Dagon was utter foolishness, and he was utterly impotent, an empty, empty, worthless statue. Yet what's happening is, is they don't yet see the power. And this situation brings the priest to a point of decision, just like you and I are often brought to a point of decision. God has spoken by knocking the statue down. They put it back up, and he goes, well, if you don't get the message that I'm stronger than your statue, let me cut his head off, cut his head and hands off. And you still, they're at a point of decision. And here are a couple options. Number one, at this point, having understood that God is sending them a message and that Dagon is utterly foolish and impotent, they could have humbled themselves before God. They could have gotten the message. They they don't have to have this whole big knowledge of who God is, although we already know in previous studies that they do know who God is. And they don't have to have every question answered. They can just simply admit that their God is impotent and cry out to God. They can humble themselves and act on the knowledge that they have to act on what they know. Not to worry too much about what they don't know, but just to act on what they know. And know that God has given them new revelation. What you're seeing in chapter 1, verse 5, is God is using the circumstances in the Philistines' life to reveal, give a new revelation of himself. You know, God will use circumstances in your life. And God will use his word in your life. And God will use Bible study in your life. And and God will use much to reveal himself to you. And so while this is happening to this real group of people known as the Philistines, it also happens to us. How much more so now those of us that have a relationship with him? Another option they could have had is just simply ignore this and get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. Get rid of God. That represented God to the Philistines as well. And just, we don't want anything to do with this. We are happy the way things were. We'll pick up in verse 6 and let's see how it goes down. It says, The hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. And so they carried the ark of God of Israel away. Well, you got to thank these guys for this. What should we do with them? Send it to our neighbors. <laughs> we have all these tumors going on. This, this, there, there's a lot of discussion commentary-wise of what these tumors were. Some, there are a few theories. Um, from the original language, it could, it could speak of a type of plague, some physical sick plague. Or another view of this is it could literally be real growths and tumors. Some have even suggested from the original language from the Hebrew that these were, ma- <laughs> this is really mean, this would not be nice, but massive hemorrhoids. 
<laughs> like, oh, great. But you could see now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people. So if you just start, everybody start getting hemorrhoids, that would not be good. It's really not important what they are. Because you see that their response is still not submission. Haven't you met people that will go through this and go through this and go through this and go through this and they'll go through some more and they still won't name the name of God? They still won't accept. They're just going through calamity after calamity even though God has showed himself faithful. They're not dead. Yeah, they might have hemorrhoids, but they're not dead. I'm <laughs> like... <laughs> or tumors or whatever. <laughs> whatever they had. They're still alive. They still have opportunity. And they're not even thinking. They go, you know what? It's better than anybody has this but us. Let's send it to our neighbors. This is often the mentality of putting your Bible down and staying away from Bible study and unplugging spiritually. There's a heaviness in life. Where you see it as the hand of God heaviness, it could be the circumstances and Instead of submitting under the heaviness, people choose to send God away or run away themselves. Of course, idolatry will get you in trouble. Of course, sin will corrode your life. Of course, trouble comes apart from God. For the Philistines, it was these tumors. They wouldn't listen when the statue fell down. Not personally, it's too painful. So it gets knocked down again. And listen, when we close our ears to God, he will find another way to speak to us, and we probably won't like the next way. I think some of you are like, man, we should have listened. We should have listened when Dagon fell down because the next thing that God uses to talk to me isn't good. It isn't good. Do you know that the Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard? You look at that in your life sometimes and you wonder, could it be that God has been trying to speak to you and things have gotten been getting harder, not because the hand of the Lord was heavy upon you, but because the way of the transgressor is hard. That if you would get the message, the message is far greater than this message that God is sending to these unbelievers today. The message today is just so glorious that God loves you. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. He has given himself in exchange for you. And he'll knock down the idols in your life. And he'll reveal the things that are holding you back. He'll allow circumstances to get your attention. He'll use circumstances to get your attention and attempt to communicate to you through your friends and through your family, through radio and through, you know, notes and emails. And, and, and he uses all sorts. He'll, he, you know, what we're seeing around the world when, when the door was open in the Middle East, and some of it still is open for us, what God is doing is he's revealing himself to Muslims in dreams. I mean, he's showing up himself to close the deal. I mean, that's an amazing thing, that God would continue to show himself faithful on your behalf. But, but let's pull it into today. Why is it you refuse to hear I recognize that that is only applying to a, a, a small few that's listening to me right now. But for the small few, why do you refuse to respond to what you've seen and heard? What is it that's holding you back? So your idol's been knocked down. Go put it back up real quick. Okay, God allows you to do that. The, your idol is knocked down, but its head's cut off and its hands, it's, it's just, not, not only was it impotent the way it was, but now it's really, there's nothing there. Oh, I know, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll just stay away from that. We'll just stay away from the things that, well, we just won't, we won't be in the Bible anymore. I, I don't want anything to do with the Bible. I don't want to, I'm not going to pray anymore. 
Your hand's too harsh on me, God. And I can tell you that in tough times, like our friend Job and like our friend David, you can certainly feel that way, but I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word from God himself, he is ready to be found by you. He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations. He's the one that's shown himself faithful over and over again. You you can be so far from God that well, you don't want to deal with all the consequences, so you'll just send them to your friends. You know, just go. Go to Gath. Get rid of this thing and go to Gath. And notice what happens in verse 9. So it was after they carried away, the hand of the Lord was against the city, and a, great, very, a very great destruction, and he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. So Gath got the same thing. Verse 10. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So it's, that's pat, you know, this hot potato, but it's like a hemorrhoid hot potato, man. This is not like, get rid of this. Get this out of town. So it was the ark of God came to Ekron. The Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city and the hand of God was very heavy there and the men who did not die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. And so there's a progression of more difficulty when you turn your back on God. Let me give you another example in the history of the children of Israel. Would you turn back to Numbers with me, Numbers chapter 21? In Numbers 21, I think we are given insight how this simple time, this time of God revealing that he is God above every fake God, I believe that, well, the Philistines, they needed to understand this, but even you and I more so today. The Philistines have the ark, but they don't believe. They don't want the reality behind the ark. They don't want the consequences of unbelief. Ashdod, Gath, Ekron, all major Philistine cities, we don't want it. But I wonder what would have happened had they repented under the mighty hand of God. I'm sure they would have been blessed. Notice chapter 21 of Numbers Pick up with me right there in the beginning. Well, in verse 4, it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged along the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, chapter 21, you need to understand by way of context is the children of Israel just came after a great victory, a a great time of seeing God come through for them. And you need to know, and so do I need to be reminded, that right after a great victory will often come deep discouragement. If you talk to uh, a pastor, generally pastors are very, very excited about Sunday and very, very discouraged on Monday. It's just a natural thing. Uh, It doesn't even have to have anything to do with all the things that can discourage a pastor. There's just that sense where God had used them in a great way, and as they're resting on Monday, the enemy likes to attack them. Uh, Us, I wouldn't say just them, us. Monday can be a very discouraging day for pastors because God does a great work on Sundays. He does a wonderful work of the faithfulness of having the word go forth in power. The enemy seeks to rob us of joy and the victory we have in Jesus. This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. 
To give this a second listen, all you need to do is call and request a CD copy. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your phone or tablet. Look for the Calvary Aurora app and Grace FM Colorado app, available on all platforms. They're free and a great way to fill up on the teaching of the Word wherever you may be. Life as we know it can be a real grind. And at times, we're hit with battles and problems that can leave us stressed out and overwhelmed. Wouldn't it be nice to just let it go and embrace peace and real joy? It is possible, I'm glad to say, and Francois Fenelon points the way in his book, Let Go. So if you're struggling with a personal failure, a disappointment, or problem, be sure to request our featured resource, Let Go, and we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. And this would be such a great time to hear from you as we make plans for 2018 and beyond. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. We'll pick up where we left off in 1 Samuel tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.